Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. I started last week talking about building a hedge or living under a hedge of protection. I want to take today as the second part of that message. Um, Susan and I have been here for just a little over a year. We have fallen in love with every one of you. We love this place. We love the city. It's like being back home again. We're getting to know you, and you're getting to know us, and it's good. Amen? But one thing I can assure you is that uh, God always exceeds our expectations. I'm not talking about you know us as pastors or you as this place as a church. I'm just saying in the in the ways of the Father, He always goes above and beyond what we're expecting. Susan and I are experiencing that. We're living in that now. We're thanking God for that. Um, I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your diligence. I thank you for your support of what God is doing here. But this church on this notable street corner right in the middle of Vancouver, Washington. I had a prophet call me last week. And I've known him all through, off, not off and on, but I've known him through the years. And we'll cross paths maybe every couple of years, but it's not like we're close friends or anything like that. But we were at a meeting that he was preaching a few months back, and he was very good. And um, he's been around, he's older than I am, so he's been around a long time. I mean, he's just, you know. <laughs> but he called me. And he was at a, at a prophetic conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with a wonderful pastor and prophet named Joseph Garlington. And he was one of the speakers at that. And he said, God laid us, this church, me, Susan, you know, that kind of thing, laid us on his heart during one of the prophetic sessions <clears throat> where he was talking about uh, the enemy will always try to come and pluck away the promises that God has put in you through the word of God. And of course, the Jesus, Jesus uh, parable of the sower and the seed and the fowls of the air come and they try to pluck it away and all of that kind of thing. And, and he had a message for the church. I'm coordinating with him on a date for later in the fall. I want him to come and um, because he said he, the Lord began to speak to him some things about people's church. And that piqued my interest. Because I'm connected with people's church. <laughs> and he said what God spoke decades ago still holds. The promises that were here at the beginning have not been changed or redirected. They're still there. They're still real. His ways are above our ways, and his time so supersedes our time. But God is looking at what was originally spoken in this house about being a place of life and a, and a place to impart life into this city. And I will find out from, from Pastor Grace more specifically of what they felt in their hearts when they planted this church, because I'm not totally aware of that. But uh, I know it's there. I know the information can be accessed. I can get a hold of that. Because what this prophet was telling me is that what God was speaking then, uh, we're going to see with our eyes plus. 
he's going to add to it. You know, the Lord always adds. <laughs> he multiplies, but he'll always take what you started with, and then he'll add more. As you just walk faithfully, as you just walk independence, he'll always add more. Oh, you thought it was just your, your kids getting saved, and then all of a sudden an aunt, uncle, or cousin, or somebody else gets saved, and then all of a sudden it starts spreading through the family. He always adds more, and you can just go, go on and on and on. Well, I want to talk to you about um, this hedge of protection over in Job, or excuse me, uh, we're going to go into Psalms 91. This is the second part of where we started last week. And uh, many, many years ago, this Psalm 91, you know, you read this when you visit people in the hospital. <laughs> well, the first time I was in a hospital when I was an adult was right over in Providence in Portland. And uh, John and Velma Mall showed up. He was my superintendent. He preached on a Thursday night. We had our midweek on Thursday night. Then he and Velma showed up on Friday morning. <clears throat> and this was the first time anyone ever in visiting me because I needed it, besides me just reading it, uh, read it to me. And this psalm has always, it landed way back then. It's always been a part of my spiritual core. But it's very much about the hedge of protection. So I want to start here this morning, but um, this is just kind of a launching off point where I'm going to get to in a few minutes. But in Psalms 91, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you start out in verse 1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What's the shadow of the Almighty? It's a hedge of protection. You don't want to get out from underneath the shadow. You want to stay that wherever, wherever the radiance of heaven is, there's, a, there's the, the envelope, if you will, of God's presence, and you want to stay in that as much as you possibly can. <clears throat> Several years ago, we were we planted a church, and we were pastoring church down in Winston, Oregon, just outside of Roseburg, and we lived down uh, one, uh, the Umquad River. and And every day, I would drive, and down the river there was this osprey that built a massive nest. I mean, this thing was five feet across, and uh, I think I think it was the mother osprey. I don't know how to tell the difference between ospreys, but. She was the one there with the chicks, and so I assumed that it was mom. And I would see, man, sometimes she would, I would watch when I drive by, I'd look up and see what's going on, and babies couldn't see him, then I'll see the heads, and then all of a sudden, man, they're growing you up. It got really hot in the middle of the summer, and I was going down there in the afternoon. And I, I guess I was just shocked by what I witnessed. As I drove by and looked up, she was sitting on the edge and these three or four chicks that were now fairly large were clustered together in the center. She was like this. And my mouth was open. And I slowed down. And every 10, 15 seconds, she would, and she was just this. And she just covered. So I went to the church, did what I needed to do. That was, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. By mid-afternoon, I came back and I took a look up. She very well may have moved, I don't know, but she was in the exact same place doing the exact same thing five or six hours later. And the chicks were doing the same thing too, clustered together right under her covering. And I even thought at the moment, I thought, God, would you cover me like that? And then he has. It's a rhetorical question. He doesn't change. He always provides that as you walk in him. But it's just a longing of my heart to be 
under the shadow. And here David, I don't know if he saw an osprey, I don't know where it was, but he said, he, he shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. How many want, that's where you want to live? Oh, that's where I want to be. And so I got to keep moving because I've got a, a lot of stuff. In verse 2, he said, I'll save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. Once again, a hedge, right? He's the refuge. Things start going wrong. Things start going bad. He's the place where you run to and you're safe. You get in. He's your refuge. You're not a refugee if you have a refuge to go to. A refugee is somebody who's been displaced and has no place to go to. God's people are not refugees. We're in a foreign land. We're in a foreign world, but we're, we have a place that we run and we're safe, right? And not only that, we have a fortress. Oh, our God, mighty, our God is a mighty fortress, and I got to keep moving in, in this psalm. So this whole 91st psalm is very much about, about the hedge of protection. You should, verse 5, you'll not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand will fall at your right or at your side, and a thousand at your right hand, but it'll not come near you. What? The protective hedge of God. Well, preacher, I'm doing all that, and yet still bad things are happening. Just hold tight. They got to cross the bloodline. I don't know if how many would remember, but a pastor, pastored the Crystal Cathedral many years ago, Robert Schuller, and some in our circles of spirit-filled and Holy Ghost-type people. They didn't know how to take Robert, but Dr. Schuller was a tremendous encouragement in my life. But he preached a message. I would go to his leadership conferences. They were deep, and they were rich, and brought and benefited me so much. And uh, Dr. Schuller was under the absolute conviction and opinion that bad things happen to good people but that doesn't mean that God's not in charge of your life. And for a few years, we had a ministry where we ministered to people that were victims of crime. Didn't do anything, just the wrong place at the wrong time. And I watched people in those circumstances. The first thing that happens, they begin to question their faith. Why, God, why? I wasn't doing anything, God, and this terrible thing happened. We minister to them. And I watched as the Lord would bring healing and restoration. Uh, the enemy is the one who comes to kill, to kill, steal, and destroy. God's the one who comes in and he not just he doesn't just put the pieces back together. He takes and rebuilds the marred vessel and it becomes better than what it ever was before. What the devil meant for evil, the Lord turns around and brings it as a as a great victory. And so much of that kind of thing. Over in Psalms 102, I want you to go over there real quick. I mean, this whole message, I mean, it was really, I it could have Every one of the things I'm going to talk about, they're found in Psalms, and I'm uh, going to be moving out of Psalms, but we could have spent our whole morning in Psalms. But in Psalms 102, verses 1 and 2, it's another, it's another psalm, a prayer of the afflicted. And uh, when someone's overwhelmed, they begin to pour their heart out before God. Hear my prayer, O Lord, verse 1, Psalms 102, and let my cry come to you. I just want to speak some wisdom into you. And thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God for pastors. Thank God for leaders. Thank God for brothers and sisters that will hear us, and we can run to them, and we can pour out our heart, and they hear us. But I want to tell you, uh, pouring your heart out to another person never, ever should be the substitute for pouring out your hurt and your pain and your frustration, all the things that go with life. He can handle it, okay? You take that, and you pour it out to God. Cast your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Cast your care upon him. My wife cares for me. I know she loves me. She tells me every day. Pretty much. 
And, uh, <laughs> but there are times I've just got to take things and we share together, but we just got to take and say, God, this is yours. I can't expect her or she can't expect me to do it. No, this is, this is. And let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. Down in verse 17, uh, just a couple little ideas there going on. It says that God, he, he, he regards the prayer of the destitute, and he shall not despise their prayer. God hears you when you pray. Verse 21, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and praise his name in Jerusalem. Well, who's doing that? Uh, those in verse 20, to hear the groaning of the prisoner and to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion. Whenever you're, you know, uh, in Isaiah, it says that he came to set the captive free and heal the brokenhearted. Uh, God hears the groanings of our life whenever life just is so difficult at times. And honestly, most of the time, um, we enjoy the abundance and the blessing of God. But in every person's life, and Ecclesiastes taught there's, there's seasons of good and there's seasons of struggle. God is very attentive to those times when you're laboring and saying, God, help me. Verse 28, the promise of God's care for your children. I love this one, that the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. The children of yours, your kids, this verse is declaring, they will continue. God has a plan for them and their descendants, your grandchildren, will be established before you. Um, We've done so much traveling in our ministry that we haven't spent the time that we would love to as just people with our, not only our kids, but our grandkids. But we felt years ago that God said, if we follow him, and this is just for us, I'm not, I'm not putting this on anybody, that, but that as we follow him, he's going, to, he's going to take care of things that we were not able to take care of. And our testimony today, 20 years of it now, is that plus, is that God has watched over not only us, our children, but our grandchildren. And the Bible talks about his blood, it'll go to a thousand generations. There's that, there's that covering and that hedge over your, over your children. And if you're concerned about a child or a loved one that seems to be going their own way, stand strong and don't ever, ever give up in believing for them. I've got testimonies of it that I'm not going to even get into. There's a hedge when you're up under spiritual leadership. Just a couple of things on that, and then we're going to move on to another thought. Over in Ezekiel 22, hedge of spiritual leadership. Well, there's a hedge by being, by being a part of something bigger than you are in the kingdom. Amen? Uh, Ezekiel 22, verses 29 through 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. That can be anybody. Anybody can make a wall. But I believe as you go through and if you want to break this down, I, I, but it was talking really of those that are in those positions where they just step up and they step into a place of leadership or commitment or whatever. He said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. God does that in every generation. He's doing it right now in America. He's doing it right now in your city. He's doing it in your neighborhood. He's always seeking. <laughs> God is the greatest invitation giver in the universe. Matter of fact, he's extending invitation to each and every one of you today on multiple levels. So I sought for a man who would make a wall, that is put a hedge, protection, stand in the gap, 
those areas that have been blown open by whatever, rebellion, disobedience, the devil. Why? That I should not destroy it. Old sin will be judged. But thank God, the judgment can be postponed. It can be put. He's a God of long suffering, right? So here he said, I looked at the land, it's a mess. Look at America, it's a mess. Look at the world, it's always been a mess, right? Always has been. Always will be. But in the middle of the mess, God shows up with redemptive, amazing, miraculous restoration that just blows our minds. And so he, I was looking for a man who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Um, if you place yourself in a local Bible-believing church that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, there's safety in that place. Now, don't, don't misunderstand and think, well, it's, it's going to be perfect, because it's not. He was just looking for a man. He didn't say, so I sought for a savior among them. He said, I sought for a man. That is a person who would make a wall. What is that wall? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, what, what that wall is. Psalm 68, 6, let's go over there. Uh, uh, this is another one of my life verses for, for pastoring and for ministering to people. Psalm 68, 6, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God sets the solitary in families. Now, just a little bit of a word study, that word families doesn't just mean it. It's not really talking about people so much. It's talking about place or the setting rather than the individual, okay? That word, if you want to go and look it up in trans, it means, it means a house. It means a permanent dwelling as opposed to a tent. So what he's saying is, God takes the solitary, those who are alone, those who are just feel like there isn't anything that uh, around me to help me or to support me, and sometimes you can be in the middle of the most loving, caring circumstances of people and yet still feel like there's nobody there. Those are the ones that God takes. And he puts them in a house. He puts them in a permanent... He wants to connect you to something solid, not transitory and, and that kind of thing. And, and so he sets us in families. I believe in the New Testament analogy is that he puts us in, in places of worship, in what we would call churches, in fellowships. There's also over in Ephesians chapter 4, there's the hedge of unity. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3. Oh, this is, this is a great few verses. With all loneliness and gentleness and long-suffering, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, that's great. Okay, so... That's what God wants us to do. And in just a moment, we're going to see what, what comes out of that. But I love this endeavoring. It, it means use speed in your effort. Okay. Just catch this, what he's talking about. Endeavoring to keep the unity. Anything that comes into your life that would bring disunity, whether it be with a loved one, a spouse, whatever, a neighbor, particularly in a household of faith, anything that would come to put a wedge or a division there, use speed in your effort to fix it. Don't let it lie and fester. The Bible actually teaches, don't even let the sun go down on your anger or your wrath. Take care of it. If you don't, a root of bitterness can begin to work its way in and just start to feed the other points of your life. We've got this new little house we move into, and it's got a yard that's just slightly larger than a postage stamp, but it's it's got a small yard, about like this. And we're just all lined up. And um, 
I don't know what kind of weeds blow around here, but there's a lot of weed seeds in, in Vancouver. And so up and down all these little yards, and there are people that come mow it. But man, there are these, there are these all these little weeds are just shooting up. And um, I've got a little bit of OCD. Um, just a little, not much. <laughs> so when it's my yard, I, yeah, I walk by, I see every weed, and I'm, I can't get to the car. I got to stop, and I pull up every weed. And so because of that, my yard, there are no weeds in it. But man, the neighbors, because they come up when they're that big, they just pull right out. But I watched our neighbor the other day. She's out there with a hoe and a pick thing, and man, she's digging holes, and they got roots on them that long, and she's like, why aren't they in your yard? And I said, because I'm OCD, and I can't pass a weed in my yard without pulling it. She said, will you please let your disease connect over into my yard? <laughs> Use speed in endeavor to keep the unity. People's church, we're all just people. Oh, there are always going to be little things that pop up that'll get, you know, say, use speed in your effort if you're connected with it to get it fixed. Don't let it fester and get a root going. Come on. Because, uh, let's go on the rest of this over in verse 13 and 14, my till we come. So this is what happens out of that few verses. There's some other stuff in the middle, but I'm jumping where he's finishing the thought. Till we all come to the unity, saying, uh, use all speed to keep unity till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the statue of fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and cured with every wind of wave of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness, the deceitfulness plotting of the enemy. A couple of things. You're protected. Verse 14 said, you're protected from instability if you do that. You're not going to be like a child that every new thing comes along, just you know, knocks you off, the, knocks you off course. You're not going to be tossed to and fro. That is, you're not going to be continually up and down in all the, the things that happen in life. Not tossed to and fro or carried away by every wind of doctrine. Do you know what happens on these things now in our society? This is the wind. Now, when you're my age, I look at it every now and again. Uh, but this has virtually nothing to do with my identity or control of my life. If I lose it, two things. I know number one, my wife's going to be upset with me. If it breaks, yeah, I'll get one. I'm about ready to go to a flip one. But I'm going to tell you, a couple generations younger than me, this becomes the wind that blows in and controls the ebb and flow of life. Don't give it that authority or power in your life. And so Paul was, it wasn't phones back then, but it was the same thing. It was the same thing where people were tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind, by everything that's coming down the, the pipe. And he said, listen, listen, keep your unity in the spirit with God's people. Man, I've got a, I've got a lot of stuff. I'm going to jump through. Most of it might pick it up on a Wednesday night. We get Wednesday nights going again. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you about Michael, so you're going to have to follow me. It's going to jump down through a number of those points. But I want to talk to you about the eight hedges that protect your mind. Because the battle that's in your life is being waged right here. The battle that we all deal with in, in our culture and our society 
Um, it's, it's all how we perceive it and how we respond and how we think about it and how we deal with it in that level of our mind. So let's go over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And I had a bunch of stuff. My problem is I work, I'm working a couple of months out on messages. And so when it gets within a few weeks of whenever I feel, then I start really cramming. And by the time it gets here, I've got so much stuff that I'm just like, man, oh man, oh man, I need, you know, I need six months to deal with this. But we're not going to do that. We're, um, but in Philippians chapter 4, oh yeah, put a guard or a hedge around your heart and mind. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a great verse, right? Verse 8. Do you have, Finally, brethren, the eight hedges that protect your mind. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. There's eight of them. You probably get sick of me talking to you, but I love lists in the Bible. There's all kinds of lists in the Bible. <laughs> you thought it was just your mom or your wife that makes the lists and puts it on the door of the fridge. No, it's Father himself. He loves lists. They're all through the Bible. I look for them. I search them. I try to find them. And when I find them, I'm just like so excited. So eight hedges that'll protect your mind. In uh, verse eight of Ephesians, we're going to go with, here we go. Think on truth. Michael, I don't know if there's any way, and I, I gave it to you this way, but it, well, we don't have them just lifted individually. There's just the, the long list. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. Don't go jumping ahead on the list. Haha, <laughs> too late. All you speed readers. Think on truth. You're going to have to corral your mind to push aside lies, falsehood, deception, things that are not true. There's a lot I could say about it in the day that we live in, and I'm not trying to be salacious or controversial, but man, there's a lot of things that are being presented to our culture that are based on absolute lies, and they're demanding that you go along with it and that you agree to it and that you think that's what I've got to do or I'm going to be canceled or I'm going to be uh, uh, you know, some, some negative term that's going to apply to me. Paul, Paul, the apostle under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, said, if you want to keep your mind hedged with protection from God, think on truth. There, oops, if I go there, I can't. Last time any of us checked the physical realities of the human species, there are only two genders. And I'm not trying to make anybody angry or... but. When you're demanded that you believe something that is not physically true, you're believing a lie. And he said, if you want your mind hedged and protected, think on truth. Reject that which you firmly know that is not true. Now, there's a lot of things that I don't know about. I don't know if it's true or not. There's a lot of all kinds of stuff. But the stuff that I know to be true, that's where I'm going to park my brain. That's where I'm going to think about it. And I'll be pleasant as I can. I'm not going to try to get in fights or make enemies and all of that. But I will not let my culture dictate to me that I believe and espouse something that I know not to be true. I won't do it. Why? Because I am instructed from the Scripture to think on truth. Second, think on what is honest. Uh, it's... The temptations of the world try to tell you to cut a corner when you know you shouldn't cut a corner. Don't cut the corner. 
Live your life as much as you possibly can by thinking upon those things which are honest. If you go back in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, it's talked about that, man, God just would really get upset that people, and it was talking about men that would, in craftiness, they would devise way to, uh, you know, uh, rob people or, you know, do criminal enterprise and all of that. No, as believers, we're to think, what we're to look for the ways to live honestly in every way that we can. The next one in verse... Uh, in verse 8 is, let me get over there so I've got it right here. Oh, that's why it's messed up. I'm in Ephesians and not Philippians. Okay, there we go. Find brother, one of the things true where things are noble, which is honest. Whatever things are just, think on what is just. Now, I'm going to give a caveat right here about justice. Children at a very, very young age have within them this buildup, pre-existing inherent knowledge of what is just and what's fair and what's not. And so when my brother got a birthday present that cost more than my birthday present, I was like, they don't love me as much as they love you. <laughs> you, know, you know where I'm going. You see it exhibited around Christmas trees when the kids are there. You, you, you see it in families, my aunts and my uncles, I loved them. They were like my brothers and sisters. And, and uh, one of my dad's brothers was able to go to a, um, an Ivy League college and be educated and all of this stuff and became an attorney. His sister was like my sister. Uh, when she asked to go to the college, no. It was a different day, a different time. That was 50 plus years ago. So we were with them, doing whatever. And now 50 plus years ago, that thing pops up from my aunt. Well, they let him go to college, but I had to go to beautician school. Think on what is just. It's the easiest thing in the world to find injustice. There are entire websites devoted to it. There are entire political movements devoted to it. But as Christians, we're to think on those things that are just. And so whenever the news is just pointing out every injustice, and, every, and, and I'm not belittling or taking away from injustice. It's there. It's really, it's a tragedy. We need to be part of the answer. Not the, but you know, let your mind meditate on what is just, what is right, and what is good. Think on what is pure. He goes on in verse 8, and he said, whatever things are pure, think upon those things. I don't need to make a lot of commentary on that, but if you want to protect your, your mind, uh, it doesn't matter if you're male or a female, you need to put a hedge around it to not let impurity begin to overwhelm your mind. Think on those things that are pure. Mm. On each one of those, our culture today but if you try to do a little history, you'll find that it's always been that way. On each one of these, our culture today is launching a full-on assault against each one of these things that will protect your mind. Because it's really launching a full-on assault against your mind. And so to keep it pure, you need to think upon those things that are pure. Pornography will destroy areas of your brain. That's not me trying to be... Uh, condemning or ultra-religious or whatever. That's just a scientific fact. And it's everywhere. It's 
is in, invasive of almost all our society and culture today. The scriptures teach us, as those that follow Christ, that we're to think on the things that are pure. And so sometimes you just gotta, you just, you just, you just gotta reject it. You gotta shut it off. You gotta close the door. You gotta do whatever. You gotta get deliverance. You gotta get prayer, whatever it is. But you can't just say, well, that area is just the way I am and it's just going to be part of me. No, you need to bring your mind into where it's staying, thinking upon the things that are pure within your life. Oh, this next one is great. Think on what is lovely. It almost sounds like uh, it's talking designer language or, you know, artistic. No, lovely. Think on what is lovely. Think on those things that uh, bring uh, beauty into your life. You know what? Whenever you, if you go through the scriptures, you'll find that whenever it comes to the regard of creation, over and over again, you'll find when it comes to the, the creative order and nature of God, that the writers of the scripture always elevated it to the glory and the grandeur and literally to the proof and the evidence that there is a designer that designed the world and the universe that we live in. I was, I was amazed the other day. I received this, um, this um, email feed of, of prayer and, and kind of um, current events and all of that, and it deals with a lot of history. And part of it got into this whole discussion of the space um, advances that are happening with Elon Musk and SpaceX and NASA and there's this new emphasis to go back to the moon and Mars and all of these things. And, you know, they're interesting. And I don't even know what to do with all of that other than, you know, there's being billions of dollars spent for it. I, we all benefit from it. Your phones work because of it. Our information works because of it. I mean, there's amazing things. But there was this man that came out of World War II Germany, uh, Werner von Braun. And he was part of Nazi Germany. He, he developed, the scientists that developed the V2 rocket and and so you, there's all this, all this um, political stuff. And all of a sudden I received this thing, and it's going through these articles and books that this man wrote, this rocket scientist. And in it, he is giving a full-on dissertation of why he believes that there was a divine intelligence that created everything that we see. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it when I read it. If you're interested, I'll... I'll get it to you so you can read it. It's, it. It was amazing. But in the whole thing, he began to talk about this, this rocket scientist, this genius, this mathematician. That uh, He was the guy that basically built the rockets that sent to Apollo, to the moon, and all of that kind of thing. Bernard von Braun. And he is giving a lecture at one of the major universities in America on why that there is a divine designer behind all that we see. I was shocked because it kind of gets this thing where he was an ex-Nazi and he was all this kind of stuff. But apparently there was an area of faith within his life. Here's the point. As I was reading it, I was overwhelmed with his sense of, of knowledge and his understanding of the universe and all of, all of these amazing things. I was overwhelmed with his almost naivete at the beauty and the wonder of creation. Think upon those things that are lovely. The world is so filled with ugliness. The news feed every day, 24-7, 365, is nothing but a diatribe of negativity and disaster. And yeah, it's a sick world that we live in. But I'm going to tell you, as Christians, we are told to think. If you want to put a hedge around your mind, you're going to have to shut down the news feed and begin to get your mind on God's a good God. He's a great God. He's created. I try to wake up, and I, and I love the sunrises here in the Pacific Northwest. They're beautiful whenever it's not raining, and, uh, and the sunsets are beautiful whenever it's not raining, and there's so much natural beauty. We went down the gorge the other day, and uh, Cape 
horn, I think it was, where you look down, and we just looked at each other and said, that's one of the most beautiful vistas in all of the world, let alone think upon those things that are lovely. There's something healing in your mind and protective in your brain if you'll keep it up there. Yes. Think on what is of good report. Whatever things are of good report. <laughs> oh, it's easy to think that this is a church thing, but it's a humanity thing. This whole thing of, you won't believe what I heard. <laughs> and then it starts coming out, the, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, gossip, whatever. And, and guess what? It's human nature. I get it. I get all that. But as believers, we want to be of those that when we start, you won't believe what I just heard of how God blessed or of what God did or of how God healed. You need to be the good report. Uh, you need to be the one that whenever you begin to talk about, people will begin to know and instinctively know, oh, it's him or it's her. That means something good I'm getting ready to hear about, not something bad or yucky or dark or sinister or nasty. Think on what is a good report. I'm just going to give you a personal opinion. I think that the political scene in America is just waiting for somebody that will show up on the scene and talk about things that are good rather than things that are bad. It's my personal opinion. If you want to become the mayor of Vancouver, let me help you in your platform. Begin talking about what's good and how it can even be better. And I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Trump guy than a Biden guy, but I'm not talking about, oh, let's just make America great again. No, I'm talking about good reports. What comes out of your life needs to be systematically and predictably positive and good. Well, what about sin and all that? Yeah, rebuke whenever it's necessary and all that. But out of your, those things that are in your mind that you're thinking about, look for the things that bring a good report. Think on what is a virtue. If there is any virtue, <laughs> that's amazing way that he, he phrased that, isn't it? It's almost like, boy, there's not much out there. And there probably isn't a lot out there, but there is some. Virtue. What's virtue? Which? It's what is predictably good in a, person, in a person's life. I've gotten to know uh, you enough where I know when I come into some of you, in your presence, we begin to talk. I know what the conversation is going to become out, uh, out of you. It, and, and yay, for, for all of it, it's, it's overwhelmingly the conversations here at People's Church lean towards virtuousness, lean towards the kingdom, Thing on those things, uh, uh, let your mind be uh, connected to those things or virtue. What is it? That's kingdom thinking. The kingdom is always virtuous. It's a glorious kingdom. It's a good kingdom. It's a powerful kingdom. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my kingdom. The gates of hell are not going to be able to overwhelm. The kingdom of our God is a virtuous kingdom. I can't remember the uh, forefather that one, one of them that, that was part of the founding of this nation said that our way of government can only function by people that have a sound moral compass and believe in a God. You need to think upon what is virtuous, upon what is consistently good. I, I love it. Uh, a number of years ago, we connected with a church in Reading in fellowship and in just uh, you know, uh, drawing from a lot of the spirit that goes on out at Bethel and, 
And um, there was one phrase that, I, that Susan and I loved, and we, we try to practice as much as we can, is that in ministering and dealing with people, you always look for the gold. Oh, it's easy to find that. It's easy to find that, the other stuff. Any, anybody can find the other stuff. Look for the gold. Look for the gold. I'm looking for gold in every one of you, and it's there. It's there more than what you even imagine that it's there. Think on things to praise God for. We're going to wrap it up with this. And meditate. Oh, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on things to praise God for. I'm going to give you a little assignment for this week. Every day, in whatever uh, your day presents you with, what I don't care how yucky the day might be, you look for something to praise God for every day. It might be almost minuscule and microscopic your day is so bad, but you can find at least one thing every day that I'm going to uh, find that is praiseworthy. And as you begin to practice this in your life, as you begin to develop this in your life, you're going to begin to find that uh, as, you, as you go on in it and perfect this, that there is stuff all day long, all the time, where you, that is praiseworthy, where you can give praise to God for it. As you do that, there is a hedge that comes around your mind, and a couple things that will happen whenever your mind is hedged with these, uh, with these eight arenas of keeping your mind elevated to is that uh, it's not that you won't ever deal with depression, but I'm just going to tell you, depression will not camp out in your mind. It will have to leave if you keep your mind stayed here. Um, this is just my experience of watching people for many people that kind of live like this, and I've known a number of them. I'm not saying they're immune from Alzheimer's, but I'm just going to tell you, it's healthy for your brain. Your brain is going to age better. Anecdotal evidence, not scientific evidence. But look at the people who were, who've been overwhelmed by negativity all of their life and look at the end of their days. Hmm. Amen. Uh, my wife's got a great point. She wants me to give it to you, and I'm going to. Uh, It'll protect your brain, I believe, from disease. Verse 9, and this is the last point. And these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, the Apostle Paul, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's stand up. And the God of peace will be with you. The God who imparts peace, the peace that goes beyond your understanding. I've never been in a point in my life where I didn't need a miracle. Just being true. Remember he said be true? I'm just telling you right now. I've never been in a point in my life where some area in my life I need a miracle for. Ha ha. Never been in a point in my life where on some level there wasn't some kind of mess that needed to be cleaned up. Life is messy. Roll your sleeves up. Sometimes you got to put the boots on. Sometimes you got to get a shovel. Life is messy. Praise him while you're in the middle of it. The miracles are in the messes. The, if the devil can make sure that you're in enough deep, <laughs> deep negative things and that you will just sink to the bottom of the pile, he's going to make sure. Think of it this way. If whatever the devil throws at you, you just come out with, God, I'm going to praise you. God, I'm going to give you glory. I don't know how, but there's something in all of this I'm going to find virtue on. There's something in all this I'm going to praise you for, God. 
There's something in this, God, that is lovely or pure. There's something in everything in my life because my steps are ordered of the Lord. And you're gonna find that all of a sudden, the, the lens that you see life through begins to take on a different color, one of faith and one of his glory. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but if anyone is here today and you're struggling with depression, I wanna pray a prayer for you right now. If there's anyone here today and you're just up under and almost an overwhelming sense of, of, of what am I going to do or not knowing how you're going to make it from where you are to where you need to be. And there are a lot of circumstances that happen in life that make you feel like that. But as believers, we believe that with every way, regardless of what happens, God's gonna make a way for us even when there seems to be no way. Holy Spirit, hover in this room right now. Just shut your eyes if you would. If you're here and you just say, God, I, I need a touch in my mind. I need, I need this dark blanket that's been laying on top of me. I need it to come off, God. Lord, I'm sense of being overwhelmed. The sense of what am I going to do? Holy Spirit, lift it off of your people. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke it right now. Lord, if there's anyone here and they're, they, they're facing something and they literally don't know what to do, Holy Spirit, today you begin to show way to them your way, your way through it, your way above it, and your way out of it, God. Lord, I pray for those that are up under physical infirmity, and it's become so overwhelming at times that it takes the whole focus of life. Lord, I pray today that, number one, healing would be released into their bodies right now in the name of Jesus. If you need a healing today, just lift your hand before the Lord and just say, God, I need that miracle release of heaven to come and heal my and fill in the blank. We're people of faith, and I release faith right now to bring healing in the areas of sickness and chronic illness in the name of Jesus, in people's church and in our city and in our region right now. I pray this would be a place known for healing and strength and health and hope. If there's anyone here that's ever contemplated or has thought about suicide, I rebuke that demonic thing in the name of Jesus, and I pray that their brain would be free from that idea that the only way for me is to check out. I rebuke it in the name of the Lord, and I pray that the spirit of life would breathe upon that emotion and those thoughts in Jesus' name. Anybody faced today with, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would come and you would throw a rescue line to them and that they would get such a grip on it by faith is that, but the Lord is going to pull me through. The Lord is going to bring me up. The Lord is going to lift me out of the miry clay. The Lord is going to take and put my feet on a solid rock. God is going to make a way for me. I don't know how, I don't know where or when, but God has the answer for what I'm facing in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone here that has a son or a daughter or a loved one or a relative or a spouse or a neighbor or anybody close like that, and they're just, they seem to be going the wrong way. I pray today that faith would arise within their hearts for them and that, Lord, you would begin to draw those people to the cross of Calvary, to the hope that the world cannot offer. Speak life to sons and daughters in Jesus' name. I pray over grandchildren right now, God. Oh, oh, our, our blessing and our DNA is going to go a thousand generations through Jesus. Devil, you can't have them. Just declare that over your, over, your, over your bloodline that you think the enemy is out to get. Lord, I declare, devil, the devil can't have my bloodline. The devil can't have that which is part of under my covering as a believer. Devil, take your hands off in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, I release the peace of God. Put your hand on your, on your forehead. 
Lord, I receive the peace of God into my mind. I receive the hedge of protection around my thoughts. I take captive every thought and bring it under subjection to the kingdom of Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. My destiny is an eternal one in heaven around the throne with the glory of God and his saints. My life is hidden in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Lord has a plan for me better than I've ever dreamed or thought, and I declare that it's going to show up and work in my life. Lord, my mind is kept and stayed in perfect peace because I keep my mind stayed upon you. The hedge of protection right now is built around my mind in Jesus' name. I cast off every negative thought. I cast off every thought of, of despair and that which does not agree with the word of God. Thank you, Jesus.